Do you feel filled up? Filled up? Boy, isn't that wonderful? We are privileged today to have as our guest preacher Dr. William Crouch, who is the president of Georgetown College. I have uh, heard him speak on a number of occasions and visited in his college and had a, a wonderful time of uh, sharing and fellowship in, our, in my office uh, just a few moments ago. And I want to tell you that this is a man who loves his job, and that's always a wonderful thing. He uh, loves being the president of this college. He's been there for 16 years, and he has a tremendous vision for Georgetown College. And it's a, it's a dedication to a school that provides high academic standards. It's a dedication to a school that provides an opportunity for spiritual development. Not indoctrination, but development. It is teaching, children, teaching young adults how to think. Not what to think all the time, but how to think. And how to reason for themselves and it's a, it is unashamedly a Christian school and a Baptist school. And I say that in the best sense of that word. And so we are glad that Dr. Crouch is here with us today to bring our message. And we're looking forward to it. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. It's a delight to be here with you. I have two people traveling with me today. I want to introduce Johnny Johnson. Would you please stand? Johnny is the Director of Admissions at Georgetown College. And Devin Norritt is the executive assistant to Governor Martha Lane Collins. And we have a, a group of people that are here this week. You might have read about it this morning in the Gleaner. And we're here to get to know people in Henderson better and let people in Henderson get to know us better. I'm delighted to be at a place we already know folks, alums of the college, Dr. Dunaway, known for uh, quite a while. Because when I first became president of Georgetown College, it was not that way. I was the youngest college president in America in 1991 when I went to Georgetown College, and I was so excited to be the president of Georgetown. And on the first Sunday I was president, I was invited to Pikeville to speak. And I got up real early in the morning and drove way up to Pikeville, way out into the country to a, a rural church. And I walked into the sanctuary. I got there about an hour early. And I walked in to stand behind the pulpit because those of us who preach like to know how tall the pulpit is and how wide it is and how much room we've got to walk around. And everybody else was in Sunday school. And then I decided I'd better go find the pastor's office. So as I was walking out of the sanctuary, a deacon of the church, I found out later, was walking in. And he said, are you visiting with us today? And I said, yes, I'm, the, I'm a visitor today. He said, you picked a bad Sunday to be here. And I said, why is that? He said, well, our preacher's out of town and you got to hear some college president speak. <laughs> and that's how I started my career as the president of a college. I've grown a lot older, a lot wiser, uh, and have had the opportunity now to be in countless pulpits all over the the state of Kentucky, and I always enjoy the opportunity to go out and to be around Baptist folks. I'm the third generation ordained Baptist minister in my family, and so the combination of being a, a college president and still having the opportunity to uh, speak to churches is, is one of the, the real joys of my life. I want us to look today 
at some verses that we're quite familiar with found in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. A very intense conversation that takes place between God and Moses. I believe that whenever God wants to do something miraculous in a person's life or in an institution's life, like a church or a college, it always begins with a conversation. And in most cases, it involves the issue of faith. Listen to the words of this conversation between God and Moses. Moses answered God and said, But God, suppose that they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He responded, A rod. And God said, Cast it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground. And it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out with your hand and pick up the serpent by the tail. And he reached out his hand and he caught it and it became a rod in his hand. And they may believe it so that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Suppose they don't believe me, God, that I'm one of your people. Moses, what's that in your hand? I am absolutely convinced that when God is going to do something big in the lives of an individual or a college or a church, he always begins with this question. What's that in your hand? Let me tell you a few moments about what's in my hand today. Three weeks ago, I was in Macon, Georgia. I was at the house of my mother and father who had just moved there six weeks earlier. My mother, on the day before, had just been diagnosed for the first time with severe Alzheimer's. On Monday, my father had a doctor's appointment, and in the sudden diagnosis of my mother, he was feeling quite secure. My parents were in their 80s. And so I told my dad I would come to Georgia, and I would be with them for the weekend, and I would take him to the doctor on Monday. On Monday, he got the diagnosis of leukemia. And so I have in my hands today a mother who's just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's and a father who's just been diagnosed with leukemia, and I'm their oldest child. Last night, I got a call from my son who's a counterintelligence terrorism spy in the United States Army. And he's just gotten his assignment on April 15th. He ships out. 
And I've got that in my hands. Yesterday morning, I got a call from my youngest daughter who lives in New York City. She's a dancer, a ballerina. And she's also a journalist. And she does her writing so that she can have enough money to allow her to do her ballet. And a job that she had hoped for, she had just gotten word that she did not get that job. On Friday night, I got a call from my other daughter. We have four daughters and a son. My daughter, who's just given us our first grandson, born five months ago, called from the outer banks of North Carolina where she and her husband and my grandson live, saying, Dad, get on the webcam. Dresden's just cut a tooth. I want to show you his tooth. And we got on the webcam. And then the day before, we had a call from our daughter-in-law telling us that our new granddaughter, who's only two months old, also was smiling and she wanted us to get on the webcam and see our granddaughter. So I have parents who are dying. I have grandchildren who've just been born. I've got a son headed into harm's way. I've got a daughter who just had a big disappointment in her life. And all that's in my hands. I also have a wife who's an only child whose 92-year-old mother lives in our community. For a year, we've been trying to get her to give up her driver's license. It's been scaring everybody in Georgetown to death whenever they see her coming. Three weeks ago, she ran a stoplight and hit a car head-on. Fortunately, the people in the other car were not hurt. She had a number of ribs broken. And we now have that driver's license because she totaled her car. And that's in my hands. Now, that's just the stuff I do on the side because also in my hands is a college. A college with 400 employees but the realization that I have is that those 4,000, I mean, those 400 employees represent 12,000 people because they all have parents and they all have children. And whatever happens to them in their job at Georgetown College impacts the rest of their extended family. I also have in my hand 2,000 students. And those students have parents, and those students have brothers and sisters. And so any decision that I make then impacts a whole slew of people. And I also have an institution in my hand that is caught in a world that's going crazy in a lot of ways. We're seeking to be one of the top academic institutions in America which means we're trying to achieve Phi Beta Kappa status. But since 1984, no Christian college has been awarded that high academic honor because non-Christians who control these organizations say that Christians are inferior 
in three ways. We're afraid of diversity. We only want to be around people that look like us and think like us and act like us. They say that Christian scholars just aren't as smart as non-faith-based scholars. And they say that Christian parents overprotect their children from the real world and therefore a Christian college will overprotect its students from the real world. We also live in a world where denominations are fighting and are going in a lot of different directions. And I've been challenged to create a vision for our institution that fits and makes sense in this ever-changing world that we live in. And all of this is in my hands. Now, I'm not unusual. Because every single person here today has a whole lot of things in your hands. You have aging parents, or you have poor health, or you have financial challenges, or you have children and you're worried about how you're going to pay for their college education. You have your community that you're concerned about. You have your church that you're concerned about. You have your neighbors that you're concerned about. You have your guilts. You have your, your own sins. You have your habits. You have your own emotions. And all of that is in your hands. And God always begins His conversations with His people asking them to examine what's in their hands. When I was in graduate school, I pastored a church in North Carolina. And our church and deacons decided that we wanted to try to discover what spiritual gifts God had placed in every member's hands. It was really not that difficult at first. We knew who could sing and we knew who was in the choir and we knew that God had given them that in their hands and they were using it for the glory of God. We knew who the business people were in the church and how they could help us with the finances. And God had put that in their hand and we were using it to the glory of God. We knew who the wonderful teachers were who could be teaching in Sunday school and God had given them the ability to educate and, and they were using that for the kingdom of the glory of God. But then we came down and we didn't know what to do with Virgie. Virgie was 90 years old. She was mentally retarded. She had never spoken a word in her whole life. She was a member of that church. She always sat on the second row. And we couldn't figure out what spiritual gifts God had given Virgie. And one of the deacons in the deacons meeting said, let's just skip over Virgie. Then there was Buck. Buck had been in World War II. He had been a disabled veteran. He had come back into the community. And he had become a hermit. He lived way out in the, in the country and he had built a little shack out of plywood and a hammer and nails. And every so often he would add to his shack and it became sort of a legend around town about this shack that was now becoming very large and everybody was wondering about Buck. And Buck was a member of the church. He hadn't been in 20 years, but his name was on the roll. 
And we determined that everybody whose name was on the roll, we were going to try to discover their spiritual gifts. But what do you do with a disabled veteran who's become a recluse living out in the country that you only see once a month at the grocery store coming in to buy some supplies? And one of the deacons said, maybe we just ought to skip over Buck. Mary Olive had been out in her backyard one day. She was gardening and she tripped over the hose. And when she tripped over the hose, she fell and she broke both hips. She was put in an ambulance and she was taken 30 miles away to the medical center. And on the way to the medical center, she had a stroke. It was a facial stroke. And it so disfigured her face that anybody who walked into the room, and I did many times in a hospital room, I never got used to the grotesque look of her face. After six months, she was brought back home. She was put in a hospital bed in her room. She was not able to walk. She was going to be an invalid for the rest of her life. And the deacons said, maybe... We just need to skip over Olive. What's in your hands? God says to Moses, Moses, I know you got a rod in your hand. And I know what that rod represents. It represents your profession as a shepherd. It represents your strength because with that you can knock away a thief. It represents your uh, ability to to rescue a sheep that gets caught, keep the lion away from it. I know it represents all those things. He said, Moses, throw it on the ground. Let it go. What do I do with my wife who every morning gets up and we turn on CNN Live and we see bodies draped in American flags coming off of a plane. And she begins every morning crying, thinking about her son and my son. What do I say to her? What do I say to a young daughter who's denied the opportunity? in the midst of a changing world. What do you say to those folks? You say what God said. Are you willing to throw it on the ground? Are you willing to let go? Are you willing to let me have it? We don't do that very well, do we? We like to hold on to things. We like to hold on to our Habits. We like to hold on to our anxieties. We like to hang on to our fears. We like to hang on to our insecurities. We like to hang on to our money. We like to hang on to the way this church has always been. We like to hang on to all those things. Because we as human beings, when we let go, become afraid. What happened when Moses let go? The rod became a snake. And what did he do? He took off running. And the reason we don't let go is because we're afraid. And we're used to our insecurities. We're used to our fears. We're used to our habits. We're used to our sins. We're used to dealing with bad things. And so we're just going to hold on to it. 
We're used to as a church thinking within the boxes that represent our hands and with a college thinking within the traditions and within a denomination thinking certain ways. And God always says to His people, you will never become what I've intended for you to become as long as you hold on. Moses, I need you to be more than a shepherd. But for you to be more than a shepherd, you've got to throw the rod on the ground. Bill Crouch, I need you to be more than you ever thought possible. But to do that, you've got to throw it all on the ground and let me have it. Pastor, I need this church to be more than it's ever thought of being before in its life. But for it to happen, every one of the church members has to throw everything they've got on the ground. A deacon ran into my office and he said, Pastor, I got it. I know what we can do with Virgie, that 92-year-old retarded person. And he told me. And it was God breathed into him what we were going to do. And so that next Sunday, after a deacon's meeting, we went and got Virgie on the second row. And we brought her in front of the church and we asked her to get on her knees and kneel. And we ordained her to be the minister of folding for our church. And we got rid of our folding machine. And every Thursday afternoon, we would take the bulletins to her house and we would ask her to fold them. It would take her two days to do it. And she would come to church on Sunday morning, would be the first one there. And from that day on, there was never a bulletin folded straight. They all looked like that. But she stood at the door with a smile on her face and she gave out those bulletins and it created a spirit within that church that I have never experienced it before. She threw her mental retardation on the ground. We did a survey in our community and we discovered that there were 42 women over the age of 75 who lived by themselves in homes. And then we did a survey of them to find out what their biggest challenge was in their lives. And you know what they said? They couldn't ever get anybody to come fix a broken door. Or if the window got shut during the winter, they couldn't find anybody who would come lift the window during the spring. Or if a board came loose on their porch, they didn't know who to call to come fix their porch. You know what we did? A deacon came running into my office one day and said, I got it. That following Sunday, we went out and got Buck. And we said to Buck, hey Buck, God's told us that He wants you to spend the rest of your life doing something. And Buck trusted us enough to come to church the following Sunday in his overalls. And we put Buck in front of the church on his knees. And we went and ordained him to be the ministry of carpentry to the widows in our community. Buck lived 12 more years. He gained 47 pounds. Because you know what these women would do when he'd open his window? They'd fix him a pie. And he brought hope. He brought relief. He brought peace to the lives of these people. One day a deacon walked into my office and said, I, God's told me about Olive. The one thing that Olive could do really, really well, laying in that invalid bed in her room, she could talk. 
And so this deacon had the idea that we would ordain her to be the ministry of hope for our church. And we would buy subscriptions to newspapers. And whenever we found anybody in surrounding communities who were going through a tragedy, we would get the word to Olive. And we would send a card. It would say, from the minister of hope at the Warrington Baptist Church. said, I don't know how you're dealing with your tragedy, but I've been through tragedies in my life. And if you want to talk to somebody who has hope, give me a call. We had to put an answering machine in her hall, in her house. She was getting so many phone calls from people just looking for somebody who could give them a little bit of hope. What you got in your hand? Will you throw it on the ground and let God take your abilities, your talents, your money, your energy, your illness? your fears, and let Him use it to change somebody else's life? You see, when Moses picked up that rod again by the tail, it wasn't the same rod. It was the rod that he used to go in front of the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And the Pharaoh said, no. And he knocked that rod on the ground and a plague came. And the Pharaoh said, no. And he knocked that rod on the ground and another plague came. And finally the Pharaoh said, get out of here. Get your people and get out of here. And he took off of the people. And he got to the Red Sea. And he didn't know what to do. But he held up that rod. And when he held up that rod, the Red Sea departed. And he went through. And then they got into the wilderness and the people were thirsty and they were complaining. And and Moses didn't know what to do until he remembered the rod. And he took the rod and he hit the rock. And water came from the rod, from the rock, so that he could... Give water to His people. You see, when you throw what you got in your hand on the ground, God works miracles. I don't know about you and your life, but Jan Crouch, my wife, and I have thrown the life of my son on the ground. And we're glad that a talented young man enlisted in the army to protect our freedom. And when we put him on that plane on April 15th, we're going to be peace about our son because we've turned him over to God. And I'm peace about my parents. Because I know where their destiny is. And I'm at peace about the direction of Georgetown College because we have an exciting vision. And God is blessing us every single day with the prayers and the generosity and the love of people. Record enrollment last year. 160% increase in applications for this year. I'm at peace about that. I don't know about this church, except I know you're in a growing part of this community. And I know you have some dreams. But what would happen if you came together and you said, we're going to take all of our talents and abilities 
and we're going to throw it on the ground. We're going to give it 100% to this church and its vision and its ministry and its outreach in this community and around the world. What would happen if Christian people really became people of faith? The world would be different. What's in your hands? Are you willing to throw it on the ground and give it to God? Let's pray. Father, You know the hearts of every person in this room. And Father, You know the ones that are gripping really tightly and have not been willing to let it go. And we know, Father, that there's an inconsistency for us to stand up and declare ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ and yet continue to want to control everything in our lives. We need courage. The courage like a soldier in Iraq. The courage to fight in this war that we have been called to on this earth. Give us that kind of courage today. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Dr. Crouch, thank you so much. I don't know whether that uh, deacon at, in Pikeville knew what he was getting into when he uh, said that college professor is coming to speak to us. Uh, but we're thankful for the message that you have brought to us today. What is in your hand? Uh, in each of our hands, there is probably a combination of, of blessings and trials and difficulties and and uh, because that's what life is made of. Um, this past week, when I was leading some re- renewal services in my home church in Griffin, Georgia, um, a friend of mine sang a song. And this, this fellow, he's just a couple of years younger than I am, but he stands about this tall and has a hunch on his back and walks with a cane, but a very powerful voice. And he's been through a lot in his life, a lot of physical difficulties in his life. And he sang a song about the thorn in the flesh becoming a blessing when we give it to God. And that's what we have heard today as well. Even the trials, even the difficulties of life can become a blessing when we give it to God because God can use that for God's kingdom. And we're grateful for that. So what is in your hand today? What we are admonished to do is to take whatever we have in our hand and give it to God. And so that's the invitation today, that you would give your life to God. To give it over to God and, and to let this be your prayer. Have thine own way, Lord. 
have thine own way. I'm giving my life to you. And you're the potter, and I'm the clay. So make me and mold me after your will. Have thine own way. We're going to sing that song, number 294, and we invite you to make a commitment to Christ whatever, in whatever way God is leading you. Perhaps God is leading you to accept Christ or to, uh, to make some other decision on behalf of God's kingdom. Or perhaps God is leading you to unite with our, this church today. We invite you to come today, together as we sing 294, Have Thine O Way. Would you come? God, that is the prayer of our hearts that You would have Your way in our lives. We pray that as we go from this place, we would go in the strength of our God, that we will go in the work of our Savior, and that we would go in the leadership of God's Holy Spirit. May we indeed worship You each day of our lives with our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. And we give our lives over to You, O God pleading with you, have thine own way. Thank you, God, for your blessings to us. In Christ's name, amen.